guys. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Ellie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. We were inspired to learn about the journeys of normal people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices, from physical to emotional to spiritual, to figure out what wellness means to them and what works for them. We aren't doctors or experts, just average ladies figuring out how to live our best lives while tackling topics all across the wellness spectrum. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Courageous Wellness. Today on the podcast, we have the amazing Amy Brubaker joining us. Amy is a badass boss lady and mom of two who works in film and television as a costumer and wardrobe supervisor and now also runs her own incredible personal styling business. Two years ago, Amy was diagnosed with breast cancer, and in this episode, we talked to her about her journey. From diagnosis to recovery, prepare to be inspired by Amy's courageous journey. Enjoy. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for being yes, here. Thank you for joining us. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for um, me. For our listeners, do you want to start by just telling people a little bit who you are, what you do, um, what health and wellness has always meant to you? So, my name is Amy, <laughs> and I am a um, personal stylist, and I've always been aware of of what I'm eating and what I'm doing in terms of exercise. Mm. Um, probably most people in my family would say I'm the healthiest person in mm. my family. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not to say that, you know, I did go, I, I've been through different phases, you know, with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I like to eat really healthy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It actually yeah. makes me feel better than, of course, I indulge in comfort once in a while, but it makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's sort of my courageous wellness in my life. Yeah. No, I think that's so amazing. You know, Amy and I have been friends for, oh my gosh, almost seven years, seven years. Mm-hmm. I think this season seven years that's so crazy um and you always have been one of the healthiest people you know like inside and out just full of joy um but that's why I think it's so interesting too how you came to your own kind of health journey yeah so in 2016 um the end of September 2016 um I was diagnosed with DCIS which is uh, ductal carcinoma institute so mm-hmm. it's breast cancer but the good news if there was something to be good <laughs> yeah. news um it is the most curable so it has the most it's basically just usually you have surgery and then you're fine so at that point it was just about you know is it a lumpectomy and mm-hmm. is it a mastectomy what do we do and you know when you're faced with a diagnosis like that it's pretty jarring Mm -hmm. um like I said I think you know you read so many things about what can what can cause cancer and things that people do and I just I I wasn't doing any of those things and so right when I was diagnosed they uh had me genetic tested to see if I was BRCA positive or anything like that and I I had none of that and Mm. and really with the exception of my nephew having childhood leukemia which he's survived and he's fantastic but there's no, there was no real history mm-hmm. in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so they then put you through a series of tests, and of course, um, they find out that it's not just in the right side where they found it, it was in the left side too, hiding out. So the decision we made was just to do a double mastectomy, mm-hmm. um, which in and of itself is really a weird Mm -hmm. sentence to hear like this is what you have to do Mm. but you'll be fine and my surgeon on our first visit was like this is not going to be what kills you you're going to be fine it's going to be great um we just got to get through the surgery so this was in the end of September and so uh, you know we had Halloween coming up and the holidays and so they wanted to do my surgery right away 
And I was basically like, you know, can we wait till after Halloween at least? Because they told me it was, you know, not a terrible recovery. Six to 12 weeks, you can't have two kids. (laughs) And at the time, my kids were six, I'm sorry, six and two. Mm. So... I couldn't carry the little one at all. You can't carry anything for a long time. You can't lift your arms up. So they decided to let me have Halloween, (laughs) (laughs) which is fun for our family. And so I had my first surgery on November the 6th. Wow. 2016. So that happened, and I... I was recovering fairly well. And so when you have that type of surgery, they then go and look at the tissue they take out and biopsy it further to make sure they got what they needed to get, et cetera, et cetera. So about two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, here I am on the road to recovery. And I'll never forget it. My husband had left to go pick my kids up from school and his sister was staying with us. And I, we were... I think playing cards or something. We were just having a fun little afternoon and I got this call from my surgical oncologist and she said, Amy, um, so we found a second type of cancer that's way more aggressive that is also HER2 positive, which is just to say that it's fed by hormones. Um, So... She said, we have to go through some more testing, but likely you're going to, at the very least, need chemotherapy. But I'm going to get you an oncologist, or I'm going to refer you to one, and you'll go right away. And I just, I will never forget that phone call for the rest of my life. It was really, totally, I mean, like something like, it's very small percentage of people that this happens to. So it was so weird that to just go from one diagnosis to have to switch gears to another one. Yeah. Um, and so just really eye-opening is that in my first meeting with my oncologist, he said the same thing. It's very small. We caught it super early. Basically, this type of cancer, if they see it in a mammogram or an ultrasound or MRI, any of those things, if they see it, it's already too big to cure a hundred percent. Another way, in other words, if they hadn't have found the first one, they might not have found the second one and then it might've been too late. So he was like, look, if this is the course of action and I'm, you know, 99.9% sure that you'll be cured, Mm -hmm. you know, but you need to have some chemotherapy. (laughs) And Erica can tell you, my hair before was kind of my thing. <laughs> so initially, I feel really vain to say this, but I was like, oh my God, the hair loss, it's going to be terrible. This is my hair. At the time, my hair was long. And um, it was like, you know, we all have our security blanket, right? Yeah. So I just, I remember crying. I cried a lot, a lot, and a lot of office visits mm-hmm. with a lot of different doctors. But, but, you know, he said the same thing. This is not going to be what takes you down. Mm-hmm. It just won't. Mm-hmm. And um, so there I went. And that is when I asked them because this was now, like, mid. this was just before Thanksgiving. Okay. So I then asked, I don't want to start chemotherapy. Unless you think it's detrimental to the course of the cancer, meaning, like, it's going to grow in the next two months, I'd really like to have the holidays with my family and start in January. So that's what I did, and I just took the rest of the year to, you know, the couple months to um, recover some more and be with my family and Cause you're sort still, of reflect. You're still healing in this time from surgery, too. Yeah, and so they went. The, it was just supposed to be twelve weeks of like, don't lift anything, don't lift your arms, and then um, they had to go in after they found the second mm-hmm. type. I had to have another surgery where they went in to sort of scrape. They call it scraping the margins so that they get every, every, everything. So then I had had that. So then that tacked on another 12 weeks of recovery. Mm -hmm. So now I'm into 24 weeks of recovery and not being able to hold my two-year-old. And it was really hard. But it was nice they gave me that time because I got to 
really reflect on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's like, it's really emotional to it hear is. about. Especially, and I can, like, I can relate to some aspects of it with my own story, but I think also throwing in um, the fact that you're a mom to two little kids, and, and that doesn't end. You can't just, like, turn that off when you're recovering. It's, like, so big. Yeah, I mean... The two-year-old, you know, we got some books, Mommy's Having a Mastectomy, mm-hmm. and, you know, different things on how we could try to get him to sort of understand right. what it was that was going on and, you know, why sometimes, why I couldn't pick him up for a long time. Right. And, and But my six-year-old, who Erica can attest to, is very much beyond her years. Yeah. She's she's pretty smart girl, and she's pretty intuitive. And um, so interestingly, the week... I was diagnosed was one week before my husband and the, my, our, our wedding anniversary. Okay. So we had a plan for my parents to come out that weekend that I was diagnosed so that we could go away on a staycation. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I just found out um, I have breast cancer and we're going to go, well, you know what? What a better way. Like I wasn't yeah. going to cancel it. So we did do that. And we hadn't told my daughter or my son and ha- hadn't told anybody actually Um, and so I told my parents and I told them, please don't tell the kids we're going to choose our time. And in our, in our weekend away, we decided that we would, when we came home, we would tell my daughter. Um, so that's what we did. And, and, you know, my son was napping at the time and my parents left and we just sat her down and I said, actually, I didn't say anything. My husband did because I knew I didn't really want her to see me really upset and I knew if the words came from me Mm -hmm. it would be hard for me not to start crying and so he just he just told her and you know the first thing she said is um that's impossible because you're the healthiest person Mm -hmm. in our family how Mm -hmm. is this happening to you and then the next thing she said well are you gonna die Mm -hmm. it's like nope no 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 um and at this point, remember, I was just supposed to have surgery. Right. So we told her, I'm just going to have a surgery, but there's going to be some restrictions. She's like, okay, you know, and that was, she digested it and yeah. we digested it and it was fine. Um, it was, you know, fairly okay. And then we had to tell her again, once the second diagnosis came, that I was then going to have chemotherapy, which kind of was a whole nother set of things for my family to digest and mm. deal with um because you're right Allie I you still have to be a mom right. um and it's really hard mm. and you cannot you know when people weren't around of course I felt sorry for myself and <laughs> it was a little sad but you can't do that in front of your kids it's hard mm, yeah. you know um so it was really challenging but you know like any other challenge that you're put up against I think you sort of see who your support group is and your friends and your family. And I think oftentimes you know the people who are really going to be there, but you're always surprised by the people that really come show to up. step up and show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 heartwarming, honestly. It it's unbelievable. Um, and truly, like, I mean, it was a game changer. My husband basically had to take over everything and we had people come and visit me so that he could go back to work. But, you know, these are we have a great division of labor in our in our marriage. So it was really hard. All of a sudden, he's has to do everything, mm-hmm. and um, and that was hard. It was hard for me too because I felt bad that he mm-hmm. had to do everything. Mm-hmm. But um, he's amazing, and you know, it was it was quite and continues to be only a different journey now. But it it is pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Are you, um, how are you feeling t- today, two days, or two years t- through, like, since this experience? It's funny because I hadn't actually said that out loud. I realized that this month, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it is pretty crazy, it's two years since my surgery. But um, I'll tell you, it is almost like it feels like it's yesterday, but it mm-hmm. also feels like it's been a lifetime. Yeah. Um, so, Chemotherapy, I'm sure you know and understand mm-hmm. that it is really difficult. Yes. <laughs> and each person sort of has different 
reaction to it. You know, they came at me with a pamphlet that was two inches thick about, you know, these are all the things that could happen to you, but some people have none of this. And, you know, they don't, they're, they're very like wide sweeping. And I understand why, because if they told you all the bad stuff that could happen to you or all the side effects that might come along, it would really freak you out. Yeah. So, you know, the first chemotherapy, I bounced back really quick. I mean, it was three or four days of really bad sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, wherein then we realized we had to have someone take my children away for those days after chemotherapy because they, I did not want them to see me like that again. It was really not a good place to be. And our house is so small, it's not like I could go to a different room, you know. So... After that, my brother started taking them for a few days, and that was like a lifesaver. And mm-hmm. so, each chemotherapy, chemotherapies, you know, each one is gets worse and worse yeah. and worse until the last one, which was my fourth. And I, I, it doesn't go lost on me that I'm incredibly lucky to only have been, only have to have had four, yeah. because I I know so many people now through my journey of being in different groups and meeting different Mm -hmm. people and meeting friends who have had it that they had to have six and eight and 12 and 24 in some cases. And I can't imagine because after my fourth one, I was like, this is, I I can't, I don't even know how I'm going to get myself back. You really feel you're just like depleted. Yeah. Chemo is the worst. I was so fortunate. You didn't have to do that at all. It was just surgeries, three surgeries for me. But that's a lot. Um, but I've seen people go through it mm-hmm. in my life and it's, it just kind of, it's like in a weird way, it's war- not to compare it, but it's like worse than any sort of, like, you don't particularly, if you catch some sort of cancer diagnosis in early stages, you don't feel it. Like you don't know you, like you said, you feel super healthy. Mm-hmm. You are super healthy in so many ways. You know, it's like. So it's not even the surgery or recover from surgery, but it's like this, the illness, often that's the side effects of chemo. Right. You know, you're dealing with poison in your body and it's, it has a job to do and it's doing <laughs> that job. You. <laughs> yeah. But there's also, there's also like, it makes you sick. Mm-hmm. And so that's tough to watch people go through. Well, it was interesting. I always was very careful to not use the terminology sick with my mm-hmm. with kids, kids. Yeah. or anyone else because I wasn't sick. I was having side effects from the thing that was going to mm. help you. help me. Yeah. And so, you know, funny things happen when you get a diagnosis like that. And you meet people that you, you know, you, you know people and they talk to you about their feelings about how they would do it if they were mm-hmm. had a diagnosis. And then you meet strangers somehow that feel like it's okay to comment on how your cancer is being dealt with. And that to me was a little strange. And because, you know, I don't think you, I don't think you ever know. Right. I, I don't think you know how it's going to be for you personally until, until you're doing it. Right. Absolutely. And you can't judge anybody's experience until you're in it. I mean, I, no, I just, <laughs> it, it also blows my mind. The amount of people, even if, you know, that's fantastic. If someone did it in a holistic way it, and healed themselves and that was great. Absolutely. But it also is great if you go through chemotherapy and everything that goes along that and heal yourself. All that matters is that we're healing ourselves. And right. I think it's such like a issue with society. It's like... Yeah, it's, you can it's, apply this to so many It's not too. anyone's business what anyone is choosing to do with right. their health. Right. You just do you and don't judge anyone else's experience. I think experience. a lot of pregnant women deal with this too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Another, that is a different, maybe a different <laughs> conversation. But yes, no, it's, it's very similar. Like the breastfeed or don't breastfeed right, right. like everybody's very judgy I, I mean I like to think that I'm not and I don't think I was when I was you know after my kids or like when I meet someone that's pregnant now I try to be very open about yeah. what I say and even more careful because I don't want to you know yeah. <laughs> anyway yeah it's super similar and you know I was I was handed basically the dream team at UCLA so my Surgical oncologist was the top of her department. My oncologist was the top of his department. My my plastic surgeon is the top of his department. So, you know, sure they say to you, do you want to go for a second opinion? And I'm sure lots of people do, but 
first of all, I was like, um, no, I don't need to do that. I'm fine. And let's move forward. Um, uh, yeah, it's like, I like to work in a very, like, for me personally, it's very sort of scientific, right? You can look at the, like Erica said, if somebody chooses to use CBD oil and that's how their cancer shrunk and, and subsequently they were in remission or cured, that is great. But statistically, scientifically, when people are diagnosed with this type of cancer and it goes untreated because they decide to go a holistic route, uh, it oftentimes leads to death eventually. And that being said, I feel like there's a place for both, Mm -hmm. right? So you can go through the ugly things that chemotherapy does to you. But then there's other ways that you can sort of enhance your wellness and getting better and recovery mm, and all of that. So, you mean, I'm still dealing with, comp- I mean, not complications, but I'm still dealing with side effects of mm. the chemo. And, and I have to be on a medicine for five years that also has a very long list of side effects. So... They don't really tell you. I feel like they not again because they don't want to scare you. They say, "Well, here you have to be on the drugs called tamoxifen okay. for five years." Um, it's a pretty brutal thing, you know. I'm not. I'm a young person. Yeah, older than you guys, but still young. Very young. And um, so it basically puts your body into early menopause. Mm. So you know, you're having hot flashes Mm -hmm. and you're super emotional and you just can't quite figure out what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and then, so about 30 days into taking tamoxifen. So what I did was I did chemo for three months. Uh Then I did one year of what's called Herceptin infusions. Herceptin is a drug that's not one of the chemotherapy drugs. It's like an immune suppressor. So um, it was just kind of like dampening the hormones more Mm. just to make sure there wasn't anything hiding out, which is also what the tamoxifen does. Um, So then I started taking the tamoxifen. And about, you know, and keep in mind, I still was having surgeries. So... I had two surgeries in the beginning, and then when I was healed, and after my chemotherapy, then I went to have reconstruction, and so it's like all these ups and downs, ups and downs over the last few years, but about a month into tamoxifen, I have a therapist who I was assigned at UCLA to, and she'd been seeing me now for, you know, a year and knew me pretty well, and I was so sad. I just couldn't, I think Erica can attest to the mm-hmm. fact that as a normal human being, yeah. I'm pretty positive and mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. find the good in things and what's positive and, you know, I, I couldn't do that mm-hmm. I, and I didn't know what was happening to me. I was like, what's going on? I know that people have gone through what I'm going through, experienced some level of depression, but I kind of felt like I was going crazy. I was like, what's happening to me? And and I didn't say anything to anybody. And I'm sure my husband noticed a difference, and I'm sure my kids noticed a difference. And I and myself thought, like, what? Is I hope this just goes away. So my therapist said to me about a month in, she said, Amy, I did they tell you that about 35% of women on tamoxifen experience depression? Mm. And I said, no, but I'm so glad you did because yeah. now you just made me feel so much better. So... Then um, they referred me to a psychologist and, you know, they did their little scale of where you lie on the depression ladder. And I was very low, like one, two. Um, But still a candidate for an antidepressant. Mm. So then there's like, well, my body's already been through a lot of business. Yeah. I really want to stop taking medicine as little as possible it was really hard for me. And then my husband said, if, if, if it does, if it does something you don't want it to do, then we'll, you don't have to take it. But if this helps you, yeah, then there's no shame. There's no right. stigma. Right. And Absolutely. you, it's not the rest of your life. So because of that, so now I'm on tamoxifen, but I'm also on a 
antidepressant called Effexor. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, that also has side effects. So it's like really, it's interesting because you asked me, how am I doing now? And really now it's about finding my new normal mm-hmm. because I think for a long time I was really stressed out about when am I going to feel normal and when am I going to feel the same? And then my doctor just said to me one day, you know, that is yeah. not going to be the case. You're not going to feel like that again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you, you know, I've been through so much too that like it changes, it changes not only just like in a physiological way, but like emotionally you've gone through the ups and downs too. Yeah. I've heard that from so many people who have experienced, be it a diagnosis or some sort of trauma. And they're just like, when am I going to feel like myself again? And it's just coming to that realization of like, I'm a new, it's, I'm this new. Yeah. Like that person isn't gone. It's just, there's all this now experience on top of that, that I'm a new, it's like the new normal, like you said, but I think your journey too. I mean, it's so inspirational and it's so courageous that I'm getting, I like I apologize if I keep like looking away from you because I don't want to cry because Amy is, you know, one of my best friends. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, when you told me about your cancer diagnosis and we were like on a hike and same, I was so surprised, just like your daughter, because Mm -hmm. Amy is one of the healthiest, does everything quote, right, right. Like you're just healthy in all aspects of the world and the word, and this still happens. But one thing too, that I think May, you're, you're also a very intuitive person mm-hmm. and you're very in touch with yourself. And I think that too, you know, it's like people are always, so there's always going to be noise of like, what should I do? Should I go the right. holistic route or should I go the medical route? Should I go on an antidepressant? Should I, it's like, there's always going to be these questions and noise from other people. But I think, you know, the success of your journey in healing and in even the community you've attracted and the people in your environment has to do with like how in tune you are with yourself. And I remember you, um, even when you told me, you were like, you, I think you were in the shower and like you felt something right with the breast depth. Yeah. So this, you're not supposed to have, so I breastfed my son for a while. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can't have a mammogram and it was, I was right at the age to have a mammogram. So you can't have a mammogram if you've been breastfeeding within, you have to wait like six or eight months because okay. the hormones are all wacky and they can't really tell anything. And so I knew that I was coming due, yeah. but I had scheduled a physical for myself that yeah. was just like a few weeks out, you know? And, um, you know, we're all bigger on one side. <laughs> and I started to notice though, like, wait, though, I really like the right side was really bigger, whatever. And uh-huh. so, yeah, I was in, I just... Kind of, and, and and I had had like some weird sort of sharp like chest pains weirdly, but I I I did not attribute it to anything having to do with my breasts. I just thought it was like you know weird mm. things happen sometimes. Yeah. You get weird twinges and like she said, like Erica said, I'm pretty intuitive about things. And but in this case, so I did a little self exam in the shower, and I got some discharge that was milk, and I was like, what? happening I haven't fed him in months months and I thought oh you know what I bet I just have like a duct blockage or something Mm -hmm. that seems normal and reasonable and so that's why the site's bigger because there was nothing happening on the left side so that's what I thought it was but it was interesting because in the week and a half to two weeks or so before the actual physical um it really took a crazy turn. I started to have more of those sharp mm. pains. Mm. It was just a lot. I remember driving with my kids home and the music was on loud because they loved to like sing and <laughs> rock out in the car. But I was sort of in my own head and I just remember driving and I was like, oh my God, what was that? I was totally feeling around and I was like, okay, that is not normal. Mm-hmm. And then, but I still never thought breast cancer. I just knew there was definitely something there that had to be taken care of. And I, you know, when I went to the, my, my regular general doctor is the one who just said, well, you know what you're due. I bet it's a ductal blockage. We'll just send you for a mammogram and an ultrasound. And well, you know, that's what happened. But it's interesting because I can't stress enough. I know that the the doctors say 40 is when you should start to have, exam, you know, 
mammograms and ultrasounds and things like that. But I feel like it's so important, especially for young people to in their 20s and even 30s, because I've met so many young people who have had a diagnosis like this. And I think it's just so important to monthly do that breast exam just so you know what your normal feels like. Uh Um, Because I know you could say it again and again, but it's early detection is really what it is about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. It doesn't, it doesn't discriminate, right? Like cancer. It Mm -mm. just, um, it's like, you know, I was 29 and as healthy as I could be. And I was like eating veggie for four years, which I'm not anymore. But, um, I was just so, you know, at the prime and I had doctors tell me to ignore what was going on in my back. I had a doctor tell me like, eh, it's probably nothing. It was a year, like a year after the fact, since I had first noticed it, that my GP, she had tracked it. Yeah. She had no idea. And it looked just like a bruise mm-hmm. on, my, on the outside of my back. And No bump. It was almost not, like a bump was almost not noticeable. Like it didn't look like a cyst or anything like that. Um, It just was sort of like a little bit raised, Mm -hmm. but it was under, it it just sort of was like a little rough bruise. And one doctor, I had gone in because I was like super sick with some sort of like virus or sinus infection thing to just my general physician's office at the time and she couldn't see me. She was on vacation. Mm -hmm. And I had noticed this, but I hadn't, like, I thought this bruise hadn't been going away. And I saw this doctor who wasn't my doctor, some dude, and he was like, eh, it's nothing. It'll go away. No worries. Like, he just skated over it. A year later, I didn't trust that, so I had her look at it recently, like, not long after that. And then she was like, "Mm, let's just keep an eye on it. Right. And then sort of referred me to dermatology, then the testing started, then, like, down the road, ultimately to surgical oncology. Right. But, you know, it taught me always, like, if you feel like something's not being thorough or someone's not being thorough, even if it's a doctor, mm-hmm. and there's something in you, trust that, like, trust that intuition. You know your body better than anybody else knows your body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, and just to be able to listen to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I will say, um, I'm just having these conversations with my husband recently about actually going to have a second opinion about how I'm being dealt with post all of this stuff uh-huh. because, there's a few things happening that are not earth shattering, but a few things happening with me that I'm just not being given a good answer. Uh-huh. You know, you telling me you're not worried isn't making me not worried. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know why are you not worried and yeah. the science behind it and what are the new advances and does this happen to people who are going through what I'm going through? And so last week I worked with a friend who has survived breast cancer twice Mm. and she just got diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer which basically means that's that's it they can treat her with drugs and try to prolong her life but you know those cells got out at some point so of course I went home to my husband because that just sets off fire alarms for me how do you know that couldn't have happened and I'm sure that they can't answer that but there's other things going on with my hormone levels and whatnot Long story short, you know, I said, like, should I be concerned about things? And I was telling her the conversation I had with my doctor. And she's the one that said, you have just what you just said, Allie. You have to trust your instincts. And if you you need somebody else outside the scope of what you've, you know, outside the group that you've been already dealing with, then go get a second opinion. Totally. um, Because... Because there's no reason why you shouldn't. And doctors Um, disagree and have different, you know, even the best in their fields have different. I dealt with that. It was until I had like, I was in dermatological surgery where they thought they could treat my thing because they thought, you know, it was a skin tumor in UCLA with like the best dermatologists. Right. Um, 
with a big hole in my back. Oh. And then they realize I'm on the table. And I this was the first one. I was like awake for the surgery, just sort of Twilight. Yeah, mm-hmm. like numbed. Mm-hmm. And they realize they can't. They need to send me to oncology. And but it wasn't until I had like a big hole in my back that like they did that. They sent me down to oncology. And he's like, I'm so glad you're here because I totally disagree that they should have ever been trying to treat you. Like we just have like vastly different views on how this type of tumor should be treated. And like two big surgeries after that, it was gone. Right. But it's like, I mean, I'm fortunate that I sort of ultimately wound up with the right fit. Sure. Of course. But it's like, you never know. Right. You know, you never know. And just because someone's even the best of their field doesn't, you know, we're human beings. Also, too, you have old school, right? Mm -hmm. And you have new school doctors. And it's not to say anything bad about old school doctors. I'm just saying possibly new school might want to take a look at my, (laughs) you know, medical records and say... Yes, yes, yes. This is this seems normal, or right. you know, um, I will say that my oncologist is not the warm and fuzziest of doctors, which is part of the problem because I am that kind of person. Yeah. So he's very much, you know, my husband said once, if he cures your cancer, who cares if it's warm and fuzzy? Which, on one hand, I agree with, but on the other hand, if it's if if there's something I'm not feeling right about, then I need to. Absolutely. And you're in this, you went through like that phase of getting rid of the cancer Mm -hmm. with this set of doctors. And maybe like you said, the next part of your journey is like you continue to heal is going to be with a different set of eyes and doctors. It's not, it's trusting yourself and trusting your body. Yeah. You know, Ali, you said something about eating vegetarian and not eating vegetarian. I just want to say something because I also think this is equally as important that I, I ate very healthy. I've been through periods in my life where I was vegan, where I was vegetarian, different times. I went raw once before my wedding (laughs) and my husband, my my fiance at the time almost (laughs) killed me. But so I've been through lots of different, you know, sort of health changes, but, um, or health and wellness changes in terms of the way that I eat. But so at diagnosis, they gave me uh, an appointment with a um, nutritionist at UCLA that just deals with people who are going through what I was going through. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go to this appointment. They hook you up to all these things. They immediately, you know, know your weight, your height, your BMI, and all of this business. And they write all these numbers down. And they say, okay, so... Your resting caloric intake is, you know, so on and so forth. And so you know, if I'm not getting any exercise, what you need to stay below to not sort of get, find yourself out of shape or whatnot. And it's not, at that point, it's not about weight or whatnot. It was just like, I was going to have so much downtime that that they want to make sure you're not, you know, Overly. Overly, so that when you come out of it, you're not in a worse position in terms of your health. But interestingly enough, she said, uh, I saw her after I knew I was going to have chemotherapy. So she's talking to me from a standpoint of the way I should eat to to recover from the rest Mm -hmm. of my surgeries and the way that I should eat to best combat what was happening with the cholesterol and you know to my surprise she said the best way for you if you can only eat like this much three ounces or less make sure it's protein Mm -hmm. and 50% of that time make sure it's lean animal protein because that's what's going to help you recover Mm -hmm. and I just thought wow okay well that's a lot of people, that's a lot of people, you know, Yeah. the whole word is like, you're not supposed to eat meat and that's not good for you. Mm-hmm. And we all know my personal relationship to food and what I eat now is pretty, it's a, even a more healthier take on it than it was before. Yeah. But of course I let myself splurge. But my thing now is all things in moderation. Mm-hmm. So like in my house we have... Three to five days of 
vegetarian. And then the other days will be like some type of lean fish or chicken. And um, I just wanted to mention that because I feel like you said, Erica, there's so many differing points of view Mm -hmm. on how, you know, to, to navigate this nutritional wellness in the, in the world. And I was just surprised to hear that. And, and to her credit, it did, it, I feel like that was something that helped me get through it. It's interesting. Well, what a big shift for me in my diet was, and I'm by no means like promoting meat being your only food group. No. By any means. We all agree that like vegetables should be the front of every, every plate. Yes. But when I was healing from my surgery and I had like 16 staples in my back and my fascia had been removed, my muscle lining on my upper back, I didn't want anything but a piece of steak. Which you hadn't eaten. In four years. Isn't that so, I see our bodies just tell us things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go get a piece of steak. (laughs) 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 And I went... To McCall's Meat Market in Los Feliz, and it's, you know, it's a really good local place with local, happy, grass-fed, grass-finished cows, and I ordered one slice of steak, like, (laughs) order one, and I was, like, a little bit nervous to do it because I hadn't eaten meat in so long, Sure. and I was, like, looking around, do people know, (laughs) are they judging me, but I didn't care, it was just really, like, at this point, I was able to... I must have been able to drive at this point because, like, got myself up the hill. And my mom had come, like, stayed with me for 10 days. And But I – and maybe – I can't remember if it was after my first or second big surgery, but it was um, – one was in September and one was in December. And I was just like, this needs to happen. And I brought it home right there, just got that one piece, like, cooked it in the pan – and I was like, here we go. I was like, be prepared to throw up, right? Like, I haven't digested this in years. Yeah. I felt amazing. Amazing. Like, whatever it was is what I needed. Yeah. Whether it was the iron or whatever. And it wasn't like, I didn't want a piece of chicken that I could care less. I was like, I needed a piece of steak. Yeah. It was red meat. And, um, and I started after that, only when I craved it, incorporating a little bit back into my diet and my boyfriend had said to me, he's like, wow, over the course of so many months, he's like, this is the most energy you've had since I've known you. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. It was really interesting. And it also gave me a perspective that like in the bio-individuality thing, mm-hmm. like what works for some people doesn't always work for other people. And where you I are agree. in your life. hundred percent. And what you're going through sort of determines your needs as well. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's. So true. I mean, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. But, you know, just to go back a little bit to the hair loss portion of this program. So, you know, like I mentioned, that was of huge concern to me. It really freaked me out. And, you know, so the diagnosis was in September, gave me a few months with my kids. And initially, you know, obviously our close friends and family new but when I got that second diagnosis I in my head at first was like I this isn't something you know because I'm not huge on social media but I do do social media for my business and whatnot and and I thought I'm not gonna talk about that I'm going through this I'm just Mm. gonna silently go through it and it'll be Mm. fine and nobody needs to know I don't need to be pasting you know posting on Facebook or Instagram about having chemo that's just weird I'm not gonna do that and then, I don't know, I just, I, I found it really therapeutic to talk about mm. what I was going through, mm. whether it was with my friends like Erica or with my husband or whomever. And so I think I just came to terms with the fact that, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I am going to talk about it. And from the standpoint of, at that stage, it was helping me get through what I was going through. Right. Right? So I did a post on my website initially basically saying this is what I'm going through and this is what this next year holds for me and I am going to be strong and I am going to be here and present and it felt so good for me to write that. So once I started posting about my journey, I 
I would get followers and I would get instant messages about how inspiring my story was. And I was, I just thought, how can I, how am I, <laughs> what, what is it about what's going on with me that's inspired? But, but it honestly, it is. And I feel like if I can reach out to one or two people and mm-hmm. let them know that, you know, you can get through it and yeah. there's a light at the end of the tunnel, even though the tunnel may seem very long, um, you know, and to speak to the hair loss I mean, I'm sitting in front of you now. My hair's been short since it grew back because I love it. Yeah, it's super cute. We'll post a picture of her. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I cut my hair all off before chemo because I didn't want it big chunks falling out. And and, um, so it went short. And I will never forget, I had my first chemo and I had my couple bad days. And then it was my daughter's birthday and we were taking her to Legoland. And they said about three weeks after your first chemo, your hair's going to just, just going to fall off. So I remember that first night we stayed in the hotel and I woke up the next morning and there was a lot of hair on my pillow. And I said, well, I can't not wear it. I have to wrap a scarf. This is going to be my beanie moment. I don't know. I hadn't done anything like that yet, but I had brought a bunch in case it started, that started to happen. Um, and my daughter came with me to the Revlon breast cancer store at UCLA to pick out all of my scarves and beanies and she got some and it was all very cool. So she was feeling better about my hair loss and I didn't know how I felt about it yet, but it made her nervous that people were going to know that like I had cancer or my hair was falling out. And Mm -hmm. so the only thing she said to me is just, please, can you just cover it when you're with like out in public? I was like, yeah, that's, of course, I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm the, I don't think I'm going to rock a bald head. It's just Mm -hmm. not my jam. So we get on a ride at Legoland and now I just have this like little beanie on, not a like full blown hat, but a little beanie. And we sat down and we, they put the roller coaster bar down and she's excited and we're excited. And the girl comes up to me and she's like, keep in mind, there's like huge chunks of hair missing on my head. And she's like, you know what? For safety reasons, we have to have you take off that beanie. Mm. And my gut just dropped out from under me and I looked at my daughter and I just could see it in her face. She was just closing her eyes like, you know, like she just didn't, she was just, that moment was huge. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to own it. And I took it (laughs) off and I could feel like people looking at me because at that stage too, you know, I wasn't that far out from my first chemo. I was bounced back, but I I still kind of looked a little like, plus I had patchy hair. So (laughs) of course I could just like. You feel like there's this big... So we did the, you know, the ride, I think, like, broke that sort of feeling. And we both got off the ride. I grabbed my beanie. I put my beanie back on. We walked away. And she was like, well, that is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I just start, I just gave her a big hug. And I was like, I love you so much. And she's like, you know, that it, it's, it's okay that you had to do that. I thought that would be really worse. And, and you just... <laughs> it's not so bad. And... So that weekend, I had my hairdresser come to my house and just shaved all the rest of it off uh-huh. while my kids were at school. I picked her up that day, and then that night when she's like, well, take it off. Take off your scarf. And so I did, and she was like, well, gosh, Mommy, I really, you're so pretty, and I can see your eyes now. It was really like, it was one of those moments that I'll, and along with many, many, many other milestones in this journey that's just one that I won't forget because she just said to me well if you could still wear a beanie when you pick me up from school but (laughs) I think you look beautiful and great and whatever and it's like now I totally rock a pixie because I I like it that's amazing and she cut her hair into a little pixie cut too yeah you know she's gone on her own journey she um got to go to a sleepaway camp called Camp Kesem mm. that is available to her free of charge because I'm being treated at UCLA. Wow. So a one-week sleepaway camp. Honestly, mind-blowing. I can't believe that we were given that opportunity for her. Um, and are the other parents, uh, other kids at the camp, their parents are also going through? Well, they're either going through it, have gone through it, or sadly they're passed from it. Wow. What an incredible camp. So, and one thing my daughter was like a sort of reoccurring theme for her was that she was embarrassed to talk about it because no one else knew how to talk about it. Mm. Um, you know, so there was a handful of times she said when I came to school and I had to go pick her up on some really not good days. I just didn't, we didn't have the money to have a nanny or a baby. We, mm-hmm. we had someone come in and help us a couple days a week for a little while because 
our friends paid for it basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But keep in mind, I wasn't working. My husband had to take a ton of time off. Like financially, we just and still aren't in a great position. Mm-hmm. But so, so her friend saw me, and so, so one of her friends said, um, "Does your did your mom or does she have cancer?" And she and Ruthie said, "Yeah, yeah, she's she she's going through breast cancer treatment." He's like, "My mom had that too." Mm-hmm. So she got in the car with me that day, and she said, "God, it felt so nice to talk to Luke because." And it was just so eye-opening, I think, for her. It made That was like a little change. She's gone through several changes. But I will say, when she got done with Camp Kesem, she came back, honestly, a different individual. Yeah. Like, she was just stronger and, like, much more at peace with my diagnosis. And she just, she just, like, blossomed about it, you know? So... She's done like three writing assignments on it in school already. <laughs> She's, um, she just like wants to, you know, she wants to share the story and share that, you know, here are these other great things. And now she can go to that camp like every single year. Wow. And my son can start going when he's six. It's incredible. And so it's just like amazing. I, I, uh, what we've been given, although it has been a really hard road, yeah. the things that we've been given that are positives are really just so so positive you know and and yeah it's like I didn't hide anything from them you know after I had surgery I had to have these crazy drains coming out from the side of my body and um they would come watch my husband change my drains for me and it didn't scare them at all (laughs) you know they were like we just want to see what's going on and and at first I was like, are you sure? I didn't want them to get scared for me, but they thought it was all kind of cool. And um, yeah, through my whole journey. And even now, the scars that I have, which are pretty severe but fading, you know, um, they, you know, I'll change in front of them and they just are like, well, you think you're so pretty. And it's just, it's lovely. Like as hard as it is to have children and young children or children of any age frankly and go through something like this um or something similar it's it's equally as rewarding to get back from them I think it's incredible for them I think it's amazing you shared this journey with them yeah and I think it's gonna make them better adults and better humans and they both have such big missions in this world that they're gonna be able to give so much because they experienced this and got through it with you. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. You have the best kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really lucky and I just recently started volunteering in my daughter's class um once every other week and her little friends are so cute and they ask me about it. I mean, I'm helping them. I go when they're doing writing, you know, so okay. I kind of help them get through writing and uh, it's just interesting because you know, I'll come up to somebody and I'll we'll be talking about what they're writing and then they'll just look at me and what like to lose your hair? <laughs> and That's it's like just probably the main question. Yeah, it's like so cute. But yeah, they they and then I've also this is actually really amazing. I've had, you know, I've been at school or at school functions, and I've had other parents or other kids come up to me and say, "Hey, we heard about Ruthie's story because both of her essays she wrote about me and my situation. <laughs> she she wrote and her teacher shared it in class." And so then subsequently shared it in another class. And so people are coming up to me like, we had no idea. We had no idea. There's a lot of people that still don't have any idea. Like, oh my gosh, we didn't know. And Or little kids, they'll come to me and be like, you know, my grandma had breast cancer and she's okay. And it's just so... I'll, I, I Also, there's a couple... Um, at least one person who came and introduced herself to me at a family event. I was wearing um, a breast cancer... Avon walk shirt which is also something I'll talk about because that was amazing and although they don't do the walk anymore it was pretty life-changing but I was wearing a shirt Mm. and the mom came up to me and said are you did you walk that and it was literally just the next week and I said yeah I just walked it last weekend it was incredible it was amazing and she said oh I'm are you a survivor I'm a survivor so now we're super good friends and our kids are good friends and I've met so many other people through her and you know for the first two years of Ruthie's life at that school I obviously was checked out. So it's just really nice that I'm in this stage this year 
where I can volunteer and I can do things that I wasn't able to do for a couple years and meet more parents and get more involved because we'll be at the school for a very long time because my son's going to go there too, but... Well, and I think the importance of community, too, that you're touching on and all these people, be it from the Avon Walk or at Ruthie's school or even through your Instagram community of people you're inspiring and a stranger, too... Found you on Instagram and started a GoFundMe page. Yeah. A total stranger. So this is pretty amazing. And also, just like really, especially at this time in like this climate of what's going on in our world, even small or big, what have you, it's amazing testament to human kindness and just how amazing people can be. So I had been obviously sharing my story along the way and... um, at some point, I um, became uh, Instagram buddies with, um, her name's Montana Raider. She owns, or actually she's just changing businesses, but she was in a similar field to what I'm in. She okay. rented very high-end shoes and jewelry to stylists for shoots and things. So I think that's how we kind of mutually followed each other um, because we were just, like, we kind of knew some of the same people, but I did not know her. I never met her. But I noticed she'd always comment on my stuff, and I'd comment on her stuff. And I just always thought, if I knew this person, if we lived near each other, I feel like we'd be friends. You know, yeah. she just, like, is very like-minded. and So one day, out of the blue, I randomly was on jury duty. And I was looking at my phone while they were waiting to call my name. And I was just wearing a super cute pair of pants with shoes, with this cute pair of shoes I hadn't worn in a long time. And I was like, oh, I'm going to post this on Instagram. (laughs) And it was so dumb. But I said, you know, I'm here in jury duty and this is the most exciting thing I can do. Whatever. Just a little blip. Nope. Whatever. And I get this message the next day, instant message through Instagram that was, hey, hi, how are you? How's jury duty? And I was like, oh, I got released because of financial hardship. It's awesome. I got a great judge, and he released me. Um, <clears throat> she's like, that's great. And then she asked me, how do, your, how do your clients pay you? And I said, oh, typically they pay me through PayPal. And I thought, oh, maybe she's like trying to drum up business for me. I don't know. <laughs> and instantly, $250 came into my, bank account, my, my PayPal account. From her. And I was like, wait, what? And I, I messaged her back, like, what, 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 are you, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I just am really inspired by you, and I've been following your journey, and I know you're going through a hard time, and you don't really talk about it, but every month I give to a charity, and this month I pick you. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and honestly, my husband, who's like a bit of a, skeptic you know he was like wait a second someone you don't know just gave us 250 dollars and I said I can't believe it he said you've never met her I've never met her we have never met in person we don't know each other he was floored and honestly that night he came home and had to do the task of writing bills which is always hard when you don't have money you know Mm -hmm. and he was sitting there and he just looked up at me and he teared up and he was like if it wasn't for that money right now, we would not be paying these bills. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I can't believe it. I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. And so I told her that, of course. And then the next day she said, she messaged me again and she's, she said, um, what would you think if I set up a GoFundMe account? And my initial thought, because several people over the course of our journey asked us if we wanted to do that. And honestly, my initial reaction is no one is dead. Right. In the big scope of life, we are all fine. I feel like that's not something for us to do. You know, like, I don't know. I just didn't feel like the recipient, that I should be the recipient of something like that. And I told her that. And she's like, that's not true. You're amazing and your story's amazing. And if I can help you pay one of your medical bills, then I want to do it. I was like, okay. (laughs) So I wrote her, you know, she kind of wanted history and my story. And I wrote her a little blurb and sent it to her. And the next day there was a GoFundMe page up and I couldn't, I 
couldn't believe it. Mm. I mean, it didn't go viral or anything, but so many tuitions were paid that wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. paid. Um, because my daughter goes to public school, but my son still is in preschool and I'm still in a position where I'm trying to work back my clients, right? So it's not like he can stay home with me. He's still got to go to preschool because we thought about that. Do we take him out of preschool to save this money? But he's learning and developing himself. That kind of wouldn't have been fair. And thankfully, we have a relationship where where he was at. But there were several months where we didn't pay his preschool for like three months. Mm -hmm. And because of the vast amount of people, 90% of whom I don't even know, Donated to that. I, I just, I, I, on a daily basis, was floored. I just, I, I, I still am so overwhelmed at the, like, love and just generosity of people. I, I, I it is really, it's still mind-blowing. Yeah. Oh, and, and to her credit, she, she put on, she put a goal up and she was going to get it. <laughs> she, <laughs> she did. And she, you know how people are about their Instagram feeds, right? They don't want to. They don't want to talk about the same thing too much. They don't want to post about the same thing. They want it to all be different and pretty and I'm so sexy. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. But she dedicated every day for probably, I want to say like two or three months. Wow. To, she would, she would pick someone who had donated and put up a picture of them and say, do you know why this person's so great? Because they donated to GoFundMe. I mean, and one time she posted something and not a lot of people liked it or something. And then she got back at them. She's like, what's wrong with you? Like she just, wow. she really made like it. You're a she really was. And then it was great because uh, a few months ago she um, was in town and I got to have lunch with her and meet her and. It was so great, and she's just, you know, like, I don't, I, it's amazing. I think that's such an amazing part, too, of your journey, right? Because it's, like you said, the world is full of darkness. Cancer is full of darkness. But so many places along your journey, be it this stranger, right, who just gives you $250 and then starts a GoFundMe page for you, or even, I think, You know, the fact that your, you know, stage zero cancer led to finding the more dangerous cancer. Mm -hmm. It's like there's so much, there's so much light in such dark, in the darkness of the world, in the darkness of cancer. And I think it's just a testament to who you are as a person that you're able to really bring that out. In other people. Exactly. So if... Since you've been through so much and like, and your story is inspiring and sharing it today, we really appreciate you coming here and sharing it. Of course. Do you, as we kind of wrap up, do you have anything, whether it be books or music or any sort of inspiration that helped you over the course of your um, journey with this that you would refer to anyone else if they're going through something similar or even if it's just like a community or an online community that you were a part of is there anything that sort of act acted as something that was inspiring to you that sort of helped you in ways through your okay well I'm just gonna be really real (laughs) I I didn't (laughs) I just found my own inspiration but most of my inspiration came from other people who lifted me up in other ways Mm -hmm. and made me feel like I could get through this and and there's so many books, and honestly, I don't have an awful long lot of time to read because <laughs> I have a six-year-old or a nine-year-old now and four-year-old. But I, there was times where I had my hands on books and like, should I buy this? Should I do? But I just felt like I wanted to have my own journey. Your own thing. Yeah. And and yeah, that's it. You know, I I was part of some breast cancer groups. I mean, I would. I would highly recommend that if someone finds themselves in this position, definitely utilize all your resources in Mm. terms of find the people that are getting, find the breast cancer groups that are getting together and, and get, get with them and talk with them because it made me feel so much better when I talked to other people going through the same thing. Mm. 
or who had gone through the same thing. Mm. Thank you. That answers that, that answers the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you for joining well, us. Well, thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for oh, having you. And where can everyone me. find you on the internet? What is your Instagram handle and your website? Anything you want to share? Thanks for asking. So I'm at Amy Wardrobe, um, and that's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica. And we're Courageous Wellness.